Wollongong Baptist Church. Join us as we take the plunge and dive deeper into God's Word, the Bible. Here, we'll unpack and examine further the Bible passages presented across our Sunday services. This season, we'll be thinking through more from our latest series, Love Made Known, as together we study the book of 1 John. So, let's get right into it and dive deeper. Well, welcome to another episode of The Deeper Podcast. As you can tell, I am not Grace Jones. Uh, I am Mark Roberts, and I'm filling in for Grace as she is taking a well-deserved holiday this week. Uh, We're continuing in the book of 1 John, looking at theological topics that are raised by this letter. And this week, we're looking at the very interesting topic of being children of God. And I'm joined today by Simon Laneson. Hi, Simon. How are you going? Not too bad. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. Uh, It's a pleasure. Well, thank you for giving up your time. Uh, Simon is one of the elders of our church, if you don't know who he is. He's also the principal of Illawarra Christian School and is a father to six kids. So I thought a real subject matter expert will get in uh, today to help us think through being uh, children of God. Uh, We're going to be thinking, first of all, about some of the theology uh, behind this concept of being children of God and what the Bible means by that. And then the plan is to try and connect uh, this biblical information to our kind of lived experience. Uh, Well, Mark, can we delve first then into the theology behind some of all this? So a couple of questions just to get us thinking about this concept of uh, being children of God. John refers to his audience as his dear children uh, 10 times in this letter. And famously, he says that we are children of God who have the Father's love lavished on us. So what's the biblical background to this idea? Well, the Bible speaks about God as uh, the father of uh, of lots of people, lots of times throughout uh, the Bible. Probably the first place that you start to get a sense of this, I think, is in uh, Genesis chapter 2, the creation account of uh, Adam and Eve. There's at least strong hints there, I think, that the the creation of the first people, that God is to be their their father, it's sort of wrapped up in um, the, the creation account there. And certainly the um, instructions that God gives to Adam and Eve to start a family, to have children. Uh, fatherhood is kind of there from day one in creation. And so I think we're supposed to, to sort of understand that uh, God is the one who originated this concept uh, to these people, that he sort of rules them and, and loves them as uh, a father. It's not all that explicit at that point, but it does become explicit later in the Old Testament. Uh, specifically, God is described as the father of the nation Israel. That seems to be kind of the main focus in the Old Testament. Uh, And so you get numerous places all throughout uh, the Old Testament, uh, such as in the book of Exodus, when uh, God calls Moses to be the, the liberator of his people from Egypt. And he tells Moses to go and speak to Pharaoh. And the message that Moses is to give to Pharaoh is that Pharaoh is to let Uh, God's firstborn son, Israel, go because he's keeping them in captivity. And so that's sort of the dynamic of the relationship. God cares for Israel. He's uh, their loving father uh, and he wants the best for them. And so as the story of the Old Testament progresses, you see that 
um, one of the metaphors to describe the relationship between Israel and God, this fatherhood metaphor becomes very strained and Israel fail as God's children, just as we might say, and we're probably more familiar with the language of uh, Israel being the bride of, of God and them being unfaithful to him uh, as a, an unfaithful spouse sort of thing. Uh, the, the Old Testament uses that same concept, but in the, the father-child dynamic. So in Hosea uh, chapter 11, uh, there's a really powerful example um, of God talking about Israel, saying uh, in chapter 11, uh, verse uh, 4, I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. But the tragedy in all of this is that they didn't return the love of God as their father. And so that's sort of the... Um, where the old that's about as far as the Old Testament comes with ex, uh, explaining this theme. It's kind of in the background. But the New Testament really brings this theme of the fatherhood of God to the fore. And certainly Jesus, uh, his revelation of God, one of the primary categories that he has to explain who God is, is father. Uh, Jesus called, calls God the father or his father over a hundred times in the Gospels. Uh, in John alone, rather, he calls himself the Son of God and the Son uh, about thirty times, and so it's it's integral to who Jesus understands himself to be and understands the Father to be, and the one of the the main ways of describing um, salvation in the New Testament is to become a child of God. That's certainly the message um, all throughout um, uh, the New Testament. In one John, we find it many times. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, by faith we become children of God. Um, and that's, yeah, that's sort of the primary uh, understanding that now as, as a, a saved one, as someone who, just like Israel was to be God's, uh, one of God's, to be in Israel was to be one of God's people, to be in Christ now is to be one of God's people. And so we have that relationship to God as our father uh, that Israel were to have and that Christ himself has. So are we all children of God then? Uh, that's that's kind of often the language that you hear, isn't it? It's the the um, the brotherhood of man, and uh, we're all children of the Creator, and that sort of thing. It's a lovely sentiment, but the New Testament doesn't actually use that type of language. Rather, the New Testament makes it clear that there are some people who are children of God, but there are some people who are children of the devil. Uh, and so, one John has has picked that up a number of times. Uh, that there are some who, uh, if you look at uh, one John chapter three, verse ten, um, uh, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Jesus uh, rebuked the Pharisees and said that their father is the devil. Uh, those who disobey Christ are um, they they have no right to call God their father. Is actually quite a clear kind of break there and so um, part of that like drawing a hard line in the sand is supposed to be a, a wake-up call i think for people to come and and find the love of the father and experience it and receive it and become children of god and uh, the, the way that the the new testament sort of describes that process of transferring from being a child of the devil to being a child of god there's sort of two um, metaphors, if you like, to describe that, that process. One of them is, is one we're probably all quite familiar with, which is the language of being born again. Uh, in 1 John, he talks 10 times about being born of God. So the idea is having a second birth, and now you're part of a new family after being born again into God's family. 
Um, you can look at John chapter 3, Jesus talking with Nicodemus about the need for being born again. But the other sort of metaphor that's also used to describe becoming a child of God is the, the language of adoption into God's family. It's also quite a prominent New Testament theme. Um, and uh, if you look at Ephesians chapter 1, uh, we're told that God predestined us to, for adoption to sonship. Romans chapter 8 is uh, also sort of one of the main passages that talks about uh, being almost purchased and brought into a new family and given a, uh, all the benefits of belonging to a new family. And so that, that two-dimensional two kind of language, being born again, being adopted, they're not kind of competing concepts. They're, they're sort of artistic concepts. You're supposed to understand the, the meaning of the metaphor as um, some massive transformation happening by the power of God such that you're a new person with a, a new name in a new family, a new destiny. That's the sort of um, testimony of the New Testament. So, yeah, can you expand for us then a little bit more about what are the implications of being a child of God. Yeah, it's um, it, it's almost like saying, what are the implications of being a Christian, really? Because it's it's so synonymous with um, salvation. Uh, 1 John says a lot about what it means to be a child of God. It's one of John's kind of main lines of arguments is that you're in a new family. And so because just like children take after their father, their parents, uh, well, so you ought to bear the likeness of your father. And so that's going to mean uh, obedience and godliness. It's going to mean uh, love. It's going to mean holiness. And there are really, uh, you know, the whole letter of 1 John is just sprinkled with that kind of exhortation that because you're a child of God, because you've been born of God, then this is now what your life is to look like. Uh, so there's, there's lots of um, implications there in 1 John. I'd also say that there are probably three other main implications uh, outside of the the kind of the lifestyle, if you like, that a child of God is to have. And you can find those in, in Romans chapter 8. And helpfully, I think they're all kind of bundled together in Romans chapter 8. So maybe I'll just read verses 14 to 17. Uh, and we can just note that there's, I think, three benefits here to being a child of God. So let me read Romans 8 verse 14. Uh, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. And so I think the first implication there is that because you're a child of God, you have access to God. You have access to the Father, just like a child can run in and talk to their father anytime, sit on their lap, all that sort of thing. Uh, Paul's point there is that we can cry out to him and he will hear us because he's our father who loves us. And that's a wonderful blessing to being a child of God, knowing that we can talk to our father at any time. Uh, He goes on, verse 16, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Verse 17, Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Uh, And so being part of God's family means that just like a firstborn son receives the inheritance, well, we've got the inheritance, the same inheritance as Christ. We will inherit the nations. We will rule with Christ. That's the the kind of language of inheritance and being heirs there. Second benefit, he goes on, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And so lastly, I think the last benefit of being a child of God is that we know that God is going to discipline us as we share in Christ's sufferings. He's going to work for our good. And that's the argument of Hebrews chapter 12, that because God is our father, he will discipline us. And if he doesn't discipline us, well, then he wouldn't be a very loving father. Uh, and so being a child of God, yes, it's, it's about a, a different lifestyle, love, holiness, obedience. 
but it's also having access to God as our dad, uh, being able to talk to him anytime, receiving the inheritance uh, that is due to Christ, and knowing that God will work for our good, even through hardship, to shape us. I think that's the kind of stuff that it means to be a child of God. So with all of that as kind of way of, if you like, background information, what we want to do today is try and connect some of that theology to our lived experience, and specifically around the topic of adoption. Um, Simon, I, I've asked you here today because you're something of a subject matter expert <clears throat> when it comes to adoption. Uh, you're certainly the most passionate person I've met around the topic of adoption. So could you share with us uh, what has been your experience, your history with adoption? Sure. Um, I, I actually have um, sort of two experiences of adoption, actually. Uh, I guess the first one is that I have uh, two siblings who are adopted, uh, a younger brother and a younger sister who were adopted as older children from India. And so they joined my family when I was in upper primary and in high school. Uh, and so there's that experience of being a, a brother and a sister of an adopted child. But I think more recently, and probably um, what's developed my understanding of adoption even more, has been the concept of um, and our experience of adoption uh, as parents. So uh, my wife, Sarah, and I have six children, as you mentioned. Uh, we have three biological children, uh, two little boys, Caleb and Memphis, who we've adopted. Um, and uh, we're also in the process of working towards adoption of their younger brother, Mo. So uh, our, our journey with adoption has been a long one. We started uh, looking at adoption as a family 13 years ago. Uh, we were originally looking at inter-country adoption um, and we were approved for that and then the country we were adopting through uh, closed down its program or Australia closed down its program with um, that country. And so uh, I guess we became increasingly aware of the need for children in Australia to have a family. There are over 50,000 children in Australia in out-of-home care. And so we thought that was potentially something we could be involved in. Um, and uh, uh, Caleb and Memphis were placed in our family four years ago. We had Gotcha Day this week, which is the day we celebrate when we actually got them and they actually came that's, into our that's home. That's a great name for the day, Gotcha Day. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, it's, it's good and it's a wonderful experience to talk about all this with the boys when it, when it happens. But um, So, yeah, we had Gotcha Day this week um, and during this year, right in the middle of COVID, um, our case was heard before the Supreme Court of New South Wales and Caleb and Memphis were adopted into our family. But, um, you know, we've still got Mo to go. And so that, that might be another year or two before that is all finalised as well. And I think um, for us, our, our journey with them has been um, a really an amazing privilege to be a parent in that process. Um, it's been challenging at times. Um, and the boys have come out of um, a, a, a history of neglect and abuse prior to being with us. Um, and so... Uh, they're gorgeous and they're beautiful uh, and they're hard work and challenging all at the same time. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's kind of our, our story. It's, uh, it's incredible to have had that experience of adoption from both ends, uh, living in a family with adopted siblings and then also the experience as, as an adopted father. Um, you've mentioned how long the road has been uh, to get to this point of bringing the boys into your family and, and actually having them be adopted uh, as your family um why persist with that why not just chuck in the towel like that it sounds like hard work why is adoption something that you are committed to and passionate about uh, look there were times <laughs> i'll be honest where we thought oh you know is it worth it do we still really want to do it 
I think we're, we're both very passionate about the concept of adoption uh, because we actually think it's God's idea. So as we read scripture, like you've just been talking about, you get this picture of God making a conscious choice to rescue us, to redeem us, to bring us into his family. And so, um, you know, and with adoption comes all um, the blessings of being his children. You know, the inheritance that you talk about that we're told will never perish, spoil or fade. The, the privilege of having a personal relationship with our creator, Father God, of actually being able to have the right kind of relationships, ultimately restored relationships with our brothers and sisters as well. Um, so adoption is, is a, um, for us, a, a picture, like the earthly adoption in our family is very much a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of us being drawn into right relationship with God, um, of having all the blessings and the privileges that come with that. And so um, earthly adoption in a family context kind of mirrors that, just like the way a marriage is meant to mirror the way Christ loves the church. Adoption is a picture of, I think, the way Christ loves us, God loves us, restores us, redeems us, makes us right with us. But I think the other part of it, so that's one part, I think the other part of it is we get in Scripture a clear picture of God's heart and passion and compassion for the lost, the homeless, the vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, the vulnerable. But we're also told in James not to just be merely listeners to the word, but to be active and to put that into practice. And so adoption is a really practical way I think we can show um, that love of God and live out what it means to reflect his character and the qualities that he wants us to have as his children. I think there's a purely selfish element to it as well, I've got to be honest, and say, you know, there's a lot of reward that we get in, in having these beautiful children in our family. But I also see the way that it's helping to shape my biological children's view of a world that's bigger than them and give them a heart, I hope, for something that's, that's more than just themselves. Uh, but also it continues to shape and mould us as well. Uh, it's, it's interesting, as you say, that the, the parallel between the adoption as a picture of the gospel and marriage as a picture of the gospel. Um, I was reminded that uh, Christians historically were the first ones to start orphanages and to be caring for uh, parentless children uh, precisely for that reason, because there was a, just this, such a clear echo of the love of God in caring for people who do not have parents, uh, mothers, fathers. Uh, so it's, it is a beautiful thing to see, and it's been, it's been a, a beautiful thing to see in your family, um, this story playing out and the testimony that is. Um, you mentioned there about the, the, the benefit it is for yourself. It's not all hard work. It, it is, there is joy in this as well. I wonder, has adoption for you helped you to understand uh, more of God? It, it, it puts you, I think, uh, pretty close to the, if we can call it the father heart of God. And so ha has your understanding of God grown or been refined at all as you've become an adopted, adoptive father yourself? Uh, absolutely. And I, I think in a couple of ways, I think there's a sense um, of which I have a far greater appreciation uh, for the, the blessings that God's given me, a family, a home, um, people that love me and care for me. So there's there's an appreciation of of my life that um, I, I've got a, a great, much greater thankfulness to God for um, that we take for granted so easily. I think there's also, though, particularly a greater understanding around the enormity of God's love. Any parent will tell you 
that, you know, children have challenging moments and are hard. Um, but our boys, you know, give so much love and affection back to us um, and we get to see their growth and their journey. Yet God died for me. God rescued me and pulled me back out when I was ignoring him. And so I think he, he adopted me and made me his um, when I didn't want to have a bar of him. And, and that gives me a sense of how significant God's love is for us. Um, I'd do anything for my kids. I'd like to think I'd be prepared to die for them, but he died for me when I didn't love him. Um, and so there's a sense of a, a greater appreciation for God's love for us. I think probably the other thing that um, it's challenged me because I think I am a poor reflection of God's fatherly love. Um, you know, I'm a broken version of that. And it challenges me to constantly think about what does that look like? How do I live that out? How can I be better at being that example to my children and being that picture of God to them, uh, albeit a broken one? Um, and, you know, I fail all the time. But I, I think, um, yeah, it's made me think through more consciously what does that really look like? And I think it's really easy just to get in the pattern of being a dad and do things that you do. But to, to bring others into your family and keep adding to your family and to be thinking around how do these relationships work and connect, um, I think it's made me think through that um, in a deeper and more significant way than I wouldn't have otherwise. We still have to have contact with the boys' birth family as well. Um, and, uh, you know, that's presented new challenges and different spheres of people that we might not have come into contact to. So I hope it's given me a greater patience and a greater love and a, a greater understanding of the situation others find themselves in um, that I probably didn't really fully comprehend before as well. That's so helpful. Thank you for sharing all that. Um, one final question for you. Um, it it has not been, and it probably won't be, and it probably shouldn't be the experience of everybody listening to this podcast uh, to pursue adoption. Uh, but we are all children of God, and by God's kindness to us, we have families in our church who have adopted and or are adopting, pursuing adoption. I wonder if you've got any advice or any sort of counsel for those of us who are perhaps looking at adoption, uh, physical adoption from the outside. Is there anything that we can do, anything we should know in order to be helpful and to be promoting the cause of adoption uh, in, in both in our church community and perhaps more broadly as well? Oh, yeah, there's heaps we can do. I think the first thing you can do is pray. Um, so I think we can all pray for children who do not have families. Um, and that God would, in his grace, provide those opportunities for him. Um, I don't think everybody should think adopting children into their family is, is the right thing uh, for them and their context and how God wants them to serve him. Um, I'd like to think that more people could, and I think sometimes we need to be prepared to be a bit uncomfortable and to take that step. And uh, I think we are too comfortable at times. Um, so I'd like to challenge people that maybe they should think about it, but recognise it's not for everyone. Um, but there's lots of things you can do. You can pray. Certainly, I think you should pro promote the cause of adoption in Australia, and I think you can advocate that it is a good thing. It's really important that children belong and children have a family to connect with. Um, and I think if more Christians do it, then we can actually give it that full meaning that we've just been talking about having. Um, and children have the opportunity to grow up in Christian homes and hear the gospel and, and have those blessings. So 
um, I'd like to think that we could be at the forefront as, 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 as Christians advocating for the place for adoption um, and seeing that the needs of the children uh, are highly important, but praying and I think supporting families that are going through adoption, it, adopting and raising children that are adopted that have come through different circumstances brings with it different challenges. So having an understanding that these children often have come through difficult things, um, that they you have to parent them slightly differently and showing grace to adoptive parents in that, praying for them, asking how you can help, um, uh, listening to the feedback they give because every child will need different things in that context. And so working with them around the parameters they need to have for their family would be really good. Um, but I, I, I think it's... Uh, yeah, I, I definitely speaking up about the value of it, encouraging those who can, praying for those who are, and and recognising that we have some wonderful friends who give us time out too, and with six kids you need it. And so, you know, being that sometimes can be what those families need. You can do it in other ways, in smaller doses. That's so helpful. Thank you so much for sharing today and for giving up some of your time to talk with us about this really important issue. It's been great to have you, Simon. Thanks for joining us. And thank you for listening. We hope you'll stick around and listen to next week's final episode of the Deeper Podcast in uh, One John. It'll be followed by another week where we'll wrap up the whole year and reflect back on some of what we've learned across all of our sermon series this term, uh, this year rather. And uh, we look forward to both those weeks Thanks again for joining us. See you next time. You have been listening to Deeper, a podcast by Wollongong Baptist Church. We'd love you to join us at our services on site or online. For details or to hear further content, please head to our website at wollongongbaptist.org.